In 2020, four friends decided to listen to every one of the greatest 500 albums as decided by Rolling Stone magazine. This resulted in a text chain that celebrated the music, excoriated the order, and led us to making this podcast. We are far from experts, and we promise to do almost no research. All opinions are our own unless you disagree. Please sit back and enjoy. Beck did it better. This is episode zero. From the Beatles to Big Boy and Andre 3000. We're talking about that list. When you want to hear about the greatest albums of all time. But you're just too lazy to look it up online. If you want to hear four guys who chat and then they get off track. I've got the perfect podcast for you, Jack. Beck did it better. This is Beck Did It Better, the podcast where we're talking about the Rolling Stones' top 500 albums of all time. But before we do that, we thought we'd take the very first episode to slow it down a little. So normally every day we'd be taking an album from the list and talking about what we think about it. But today we're going to be trying looking at the whole list. I think today we're kind of focusing on the first uh, 10 or so. Uh, but before we start this, uh, let's just talk about how, how's it going? How's everybody doing? Uh, Rosie, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, no one wants to hear about the parent of a toddler complaining about their sleep, but my kid is going through a weird sleep thing. And, uh, so, you know, we were up in the middle of the night last night and then up at 6am today, but, uh, it was beautiful sunshine today. Uh, I did a quick workout in the garage, which felt great. And I'm super stoked to hear what you guys have to say on, uh, what you all have to say. I'm trying not to say you guys, uh, I'm super stoked to hear what you all have to say on this, uh, on this episode. And Rosie, before we started, you told us working out is code for jerking it. So I think that's yes. good. I think that's a good code. <laughs> in my garage, dry, just with some WD-40, just out there going. So, all right. So this podcast is canceled before it even starts. Uh, <laughs> just me and some bike grease out yeah. in my garage. Somehow it's, right. somehow it's got two E's next to it for super explicit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Rosie, my my pediatrician when my daughter was growing up told me that a kid could cry for five hours before you had to be concerned and actually do anything about it. So keep that in mind. You can let that kid cry their ass out for five hours before you actually have to be like, I think something might be really wrong. My son is three, but the thing is, we live in a tiny house and his bedroom is next door to ours. So his thing now is like, just he's in a not in a crib anymore. Like we're not gonna turn this into a parenting podcast. But he can just walk straight into our room in the middle of the night and be like, "Hey, I need something." And then that's it, the end of it. So, okay, let me give you some real advice, and I'll cut this later. But when yeah. my daughter when my daughters transitioned to a real bed, I sat outside and I kept a tally of how many times they got up the first night, and they got up sixty five times and came out of the bed. And every time I took them back, I said, "I love you, good night." I put them back in bed. And then the next night, I kept a tally on a sheet of paper, and it went all the way down to 40. Now, normally, 40 would seem like a lot, but compared to the night before, I was like, this is a great parenting victory. And then the next night, it was 20. And then the next night, I gave up, and I started reading them stories because I'm a terrible parent. So now, I still have to do that every night. I spend, I spend hours of my life reading my children's story, and I'm like, this is a special time. I shouldn't be mad about this. But meanwhile, I'm furious because I'm watching absolutely no movies on Netflix whatsoever. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's the summer. I live in Minneapolis. It's about the, the best time to live in Minneapolis. No Headed down to the lakes this morning for a bike ride. Then went down with the, the family to the beach this evening. So life's good. Life's good. And what's, the, what's, the, what's the favorite beach activity for your kiddos? 
Actually, you know, Leo, my, my eight-year-old Leo just loves to, he, he's, he's not, he, he wasn't gifted with the, uh, with the athletic gene. He's about as smart as, as they come. But, and so like literally being in the water, he, he feels like, uh, he's on home turf. He can swim like, like a fish. So he just likes being in the water and doing whatever he can in there, floating around, diving, all that good stuff. So not too much. I mean, we're not like beach, like build sand castles kind of stuff, but just hanging out in the water. Does he wear a shirt in the water, Carnes? That's what I did all the time growing up, Matt. Is I wore a shirt. I wore a shirt when I went in the water, and I realized when I was like, I don't know what, twenty six. I was like, I should just what what. Th- there's nothing more apparent that a guy is embarrassed of his body than wearing a shirt, and nothing draws more attention to it than wearing a shirt. It's a disaster. <laughs> a, parent should, a parent should always tell a kid, take off that shirt, get your ass in there. Nobody actually cares. Get that shirt off. I don't know about your shirt theory there, Rob. As a bigger guy, I've seen plenty of pictures with me in a pool or in a lake wearing a shirt, and I'm always kind of embarrassed about that. But I've also seen the pictures of me in the lake without the shirt, and that hasn't been the best deal either. Yeah. (laughs) I did have a fish bite my nipple the other day because it looks so much like a worm, and that was humiliating (laughs) on so many levels. Right in front of my Right in front of my kids, too. The I worst. had my nipple pierced for a while, and fish would jump out of the water to bite it, but that's another oh, story for another podcast. Oh. That is a, that's true. That is All the right. God's honest truth. Well, I'm going to listen to that podcast for sure. Aaron, uh, I'm sorry, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, how are you doing? Great start. Episode zero. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay, Rob. I'm doing okay. I was actually hoping to use this time to maybe get some advice from you guys, if that's all right. Hey, I'm, I'm anything, here for you. Always if there's anything we love to do is give advice to people where it affects us almost zero. The, the the real reason that it's probably a terrible idea for me to use you guys as a sounding board for this is it actually has to do with my dating life and specifically online dating. And I know that you guys have all been married for 10 plus years now. You've never done the online dating thing, or if you did, it certainly was not in, in the recent era. But I came across this, this woman who, who messaged me, and I was going to see if you guys could maybe help come up with a, a a quick response that would maybe draw her in a little oh, bit oh this is i'm if you could see me i'm rubbing my hands together in delight eggplant emoji eggplant emoji and then the water drops that's what i would send <laughs> all the time well well let me tell you what she messaged me so this is on an app called bumble i don't know if you guys are familiar with bumble essentially it's kind of like a tinder where you swipe right and left if you both swipe right and you match then the woman actually has the opportunity to message you within 24 hours. If she doesn't message you, it goes away. So essentially, it gives women the opportunity to message first and decide who they want to reach out to. So Russ, Russ, can I ask you a question real quick? I, I have not had the chance to do a, uh, online dating. It sounds fun. I think I'm going to start dating. Why, why, how did you get into Bumble? That sounds like it just has a chance to humiliate you over and over and over. I don't think I could do it. Well, Rob, you, you're kind of assuming that all the other apps wouldn't humiliate me over, over, and over, and over, and over. When you, when you talked about allowing your child to cry for five or more, more hours, if, if there was a limit on me crying during my online dating experience, it would have ended at five hours a long, long time ago. But I think, Rob, one of the reasons that Bumble is a good option is because I don't have to spend my time messaging hundreds of women hoping that a handful of them email me or message me back. I can just wait and swipe. And if a few match with me and they want to reach out, then it's awesome. Then I know that there's probably something there for at least us to have a conversation. Whereas if I'm just throwing messages out into 
out into space. I have no idea if anyone's going to read them, if they're going to respond. And it, it's, it's been an interesting ride. So on Bumble, again, the woman messages first. So she messaged me, and normally a message will consist of, oh, what was the most exciting part of your week? Or where would you love to take a, a dream vacation? Or they'll ask you something about your interests. This lady messaged me, and how would you respond to this? Okay. Quote, you seem fancy. Are you fancy? <laughs> I think she said it like fancy. It's a, you seem fancy. Russell, I know you have pictures of yourself in front of restaurants where Michelin star chefs are running that restaurant. That's, that's the only response you need. Just send her a picture of some surf and turf you were chowing down on, man. Yeah, that's good. Surf and turf. Ladies love that stuff. Just give it to you. Must have saw that you live in uh, you live in in God's country. So she must have figured out where you lived, and that's why she thinks you're so fancy. It, I, I don't know what it could be. There's a there's a a picture of me in Texas wearing a cowboy hat at a football game. I've got a <laughs> professional picture on there. I don't know what in my pictures or my profile could have given her the idea that I was quote unquote a fancy man. Okay, but then it started making me really wonder. I was like, is this is she questioning my sexuality? What's happening here? And so I started urban dictionarying the word fancy just to see if there was something I wasn't getting. The, the, the closest answer I could come up with. So this is after I get done urban dictionarying and make sure I'm not missing something mm-hmm. because I've never once been accused of being a dashing, handsome, charming and sophisticated man characterized by exquisite wardrobe, impeccable taste <laughs> and respect and good manners towards the fairer sex. So I figured she could not have been referring to that. It had to be something else. But. The best thing I could come up with, and I figured I'd run it by you guys before I do this, is maybe some sort of comment about, I'm fancy at grocery stores, but a freak in the bed or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. No, you I sh- like it. Yeah. You, sh- you show yourself buying like super expensive mustard. Like you take the, you take the, just the yellow <laughs> mustard and you're like, no, no, no. And then you take the mustard with like the little mustard marbles in it. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is what I like, the fancy <laughs> mustard. <laughs> You can tell how fancy I am. I refer to it as mustard marbles. Well, so what did you reply, Russ? What did you say? I'm I'm so fascinated by this. Well, this is where this is becoming really depressing is I was hoping oh, no. that one of the three of you would have an amazing answer that I could just plop right in there and I would maybe get another response by the end of this podcast. But I think I'm going to need to go back to the drawing board on that one. I, obviously, I'm no help. There was no internet when I was dating. <laughs> One thing I could maybe talk about is the fact that I am fancy and I do host a podcast with three of my friends. Do there not do that. Russell, absolutely do not do that. That is a <laughs> that is a major turnoff for women because then you know what she's going to want to do is listen to the podcast. Well, that seems like a disaster. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a total disaster. <laughs> so the podcast is about music, but you guys don't talk about music for 90% of it? Yes, that is correct. There are definitely some highs and lows. I, I've met some really awesome people, really awesome women through the process. It hasn't really led to anything permanent or or completely serious, but met a lot of really nice people, a lot of awesome people. But I've also met some of the crazies out there. So <laughs> I figured, can I share? Can I share my biggest dating disaster story that doesn't involve me, but it made me question what I was doing? Let me look at yeah, how much. Let me look at how much time we have left. Uh, yeah, we have all, all the rest of, of my life to time. listen to this story. I cannot wait. <laughs> I've never wanted to hear anything more in my life. And that includes my wedding. Like, this is, if you interrupted, like, my wife saying, I do with, like, Rob, I got to tell you a story about the biggest dating disaster. I'd be like, Russell. sorry, sweetie, I got to go. I'm out of here. Yeah. 
So this story took place probably about a year ago or so. I've probably been doing online dating off on and off for about a couple years. I'll, I'll do it for a little bit, get sick of it, take a break from it, get, try it again. I matched with this, this woman on Bumble, one of the apps, I forgot what it was, and we were going to go out and meet for a drink later on, and, and we were going to meet in Woodbury, which is probably about 45 minutes from my house, so it was a little bit longer than I would prefer to go, but whatever, you never know. I would drive so, 10 hours. I don't care. I'd be like that astronaut lady who wore a diaper and grew up across the country to meet somebody. <laughs> They'd be like, hey, let's hang out. I'd be like, okay, put on my diaper. Let's go. We're going well, to hear that story too, but we're going to stick to the rest of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I get in my car and I drive out and I meet her at this bar and we sit down and we order a few drinks and I give the guy my card. Just I, We can start a tab. And she kind of looks at me and she says, are you paying for this? I said, oh, absolutely. I'm happy to pay for it. No problem. And normally it's not usually a big deal. It's, we're just getting a drink or two. Baller. And at first she looks at me and she says, she goes, I'm not used to guys paying for anything. And I kind of looked at her and I, I was kind of surprised by that because I just assumed, hey, I'm not assuming anything, but I think it's fair for me. If I ask you out, it's fair for me to pay when we go out. And... So eventually she starts telling me about her dating experiences. And anytime you're on one of these first dates through the dating app, if people start talking about their other experiences, you know, it's going completely sideways. You're no longer interested in getting to know this person. It's just going sideways. It's like a podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no interest. So this, this date starts going a little cattywampus, just like this podcast typically does. And she looks at me and she starts telling me about these disaster dating stories she's had. And she tells me about this story where she met a gentleman on an app and went and decided to have relations with him later that day. And then she went back on the app, met a new guy and went and had relations with a different guy in the same day. And that's fair. She can do what she wants. I'm not judging work. or anything like that, yeah. but I was sitting there wondering this is a first date. Why would you be telling me this as, hey, get to know me. We should go out further. It was just so bizarre. So she kept telling me about this experience she had where these guys kind of used her and never called her again or whatever. Say, Russ, if I, I just got to say, if I had that experience, I would also be telling every single date I went on. <laughs> that happened to me as well. I'd be like, oh my God, this one time. Oh, it was so great. It's the greatest day of my life. <laughs> So part of me was thinking, am I going to be guy number three? Did this happen earlier in the same day? And she just wasn't oh, telling. Right. I don't know. That, that nice. This is me, me speculating. But anyways, I kind of knew this wasn't going anywhere. But the whole time we're sitting there having these drinks and she's telling me about this, I realized this is my life. I drove 45 minutes to meet this woman so she could just tell me about all these guys she's, she's slept with over the last few days. And I remember thinking, I can't believe this is, this is what I'm pulling in. And I remember driving back from Woodbury just thinking, <laughs> This is a complete disaster. Why am I doing this? And then I, the worst part of it was, you know, in the middle of winter. So the 45 minute drive turns into an hour, an hour and a half drive. And it was just a complete disaster. I think I deleted all my apps shortly thereafter for a while. So how do you, so Russ, how do you end a date like that? Like, do you just right, say like, yeah, what, yeah. you just say like, oh, let me go to the bathroom. And the next thing you know, you're crawling out the window. Like I, I like, how do you get out of a situation like that? I think there are some people that do that. I had a friend who did once tell me that he showed up and the, the woman he was meeting looked significantly different than what she had portrayed online and that he did go to the bathroom and then came back and claimed he got a phone call and he just left where I I've never done that. I always figure you can always have a good time with someone. So I think we hung out for probably an hour and a half, had a few drinks and 
I listened to her tell me the life story, and then I finally got out of there and wondered, what the hell am I doing? But you just say, like, this isn't going to work. Goodbye. And then you leave? Like, I don't get how, how it would go. Or, like, do you say, I want to talk to you later? Or, Russ, tell me everything. My life is so boring. I have to please. <laughs> I think the go-to move, it's fair to just say it was nice meeting you at the end of the uh, night. And usually I think both people are on the same page that it's probably not going anywhere. Oh, God. I, I, you're right. I, there's no way I could take that. That's too stressful. Yeah, I, I, there was no internet when I was dating. So, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, mostly. Oh, I I just waited until every other person got married, and then my wife was like, "Well, I guess." And then we got married. So like, <laughs> waited a month, which is which is funny because you were like 24 when you got married. Yeah, but you know, with me, I had the maturity of a 15 year old. Uh, <laughs> this next segment is called "Rolling Well Known." And this is the part where we're going to talk about what we are into right now. Uh, Matt, what are you into right now? What's your rolling well-known? I have, uh, want to tell I've picked up Yellowstone Season 3. And if anybody doesn't know Yellowstone, it's about these ranch family out in Montana or Wyoming, somewhere near Yellowstone. And it's essentially every good um, TV series that's happened in the last 20 years. Think of... Uh, Sons of Anarchy, Sopranos to a little bit, um, a little bit of uh, The Wire in there. And, you know, it's just there's always some drama going on. Somebody's always trying to beat up or kill somebody. And the family comes together and they're fighting the bad guys. But the bad guys are now the good guys. And, you know, it's just a, a web of lies. And I'd highly recommend it. It's just it fits right in with all the rest of the good ones that have come out. And Kevin Costner is the lead. And so... I'm uh, I'm trying to catch up on on Yellowstone now, right now. Where 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 can you watch Yellowstone, Matt? I bought it on Apple TV. It's it's on the Paramount Network, which oh my god, exactly, wow. which is about the the only thing that's ever come out of the Paramount Network. So, no, I just buy it on iTunes and and watch this. I'm honestly impressed that you guys can watch so much shows. I just don't like I I I don't. I don't, it's not even that I don't have the time. I got lots of time. I'm a teacher. My summer, I'm doing nothing. I just don't, I can't sit down and watch a show. Like I'd rather, well, I'm trying to think of what I did today and I did absolutely nothing today, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more impressed. I think watching series now is like books. Like Matt, you watching Yellowstone is the equivalent of reading like that eternal rainbow book. And I'm going to edit in the correct name of the book here. What the hell? Oh, Gravity's Rainbow? Infin yeah, Gravity's <laughs> Rainbow. Gravity's <laughs> Rainbow. It's like that book, Gravity's <laughs> Rainbow, where I sound smart. I think I if you're watching that. series you no one else has read, you're like the smartest guy now. It's crazy. You just mashed up Infinite Jest and Gravity's <laughs> Rainbow and called it Eternal Rainbow. <laughs> oh, and I'm editing that part out where I look dumb. <laughs> if, if if this podcast is going to consist of Aaron making fun of us because we can't keep Wait. it straight, we need to end this immediately. <laughs> if you only read one book a year, it's not hard to keep them straight. Uh, <laughs> Ross, what are you into right now? What do you got to recommend? One thing I would recommend, one thing I came across a while back, and it's kind of music related, so I thought it would be kind of cool for our listeners. Is, have you guys ever seen the YouTube videos of the Kennedy Center Honors where there are concerts with famous musicians playing other musicians' music while they watch it? No, this sounds I, amazing. I think I saw Led Zeppelin do something like that once. It was pretty cool. There was a really good Led Zeppelin That's one Led where Zeppelin's believe... whole career is playing other people's music while they were watching. <laughs> Shots fired. Here we go. 
But anyways, there's there's a one of them where Hart sings Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin's watching them just blast this song and it's really cool, but there's there's a bunch of different really cool episodes. There's a Billy Joel one, there's a Paul McCartney one, but for our music listeners out there, if you like watching people cover other people's music and the artists actually getting to watch it and enjoy it, I would recommend going and checking out some Kennedy Center Honors Awards on YouTube. What's what's one band you would totally recommend for that, Russ? The Baja Men. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Joni Mitchell singing oh, Let the Dogs Out. Let the dogs out. Oh, that's, that's good. Let the dogs out. Dylan Duets. So good. Uh, Rosie, what are you rolling well known? What are you into right now? I am into. Well, right now I'm into obsessing over if I'm seasoning my new carbon steel wok correctly, but I don't think our listeners want to hear about that. What I'm into is the radio. Uh-huh. Uh, I discovered this uh, about three years about three years ago when my son was born. About 23 years ago? What are you fuck are you talking about the radio? How are you into the radio? I'm 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 into the telephone. I'm <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I have two radio stations that I truly love: one hundred two point nine KBLX and ninety one point one KCSM. Uh, KBLX is contemporary R and B, and uh, KCSM is jazz. And I I learned uh, when my son was born that I music is. We'll talk about this, uh, I guess, through this podcast. But music is so important to me. It's grounding to me. It's uh, it. it centers me i listen to music every day and i realized that uh radio djs uh still are very valuable and letting someone else choose your music for you is really wonderful so uh most days when we're home especially now that we're sheltered in place i will put on one of those radio stations i also learned that i can listen to them on my sonos so i do that sometimes (laughs) and uh yeah i'm into the radio Yeah, I uh, I was stuck listening to the radio the other day when I was backing up my car and the backup camera was on, so I couldn't turn on the Bluetooth to turn on a podcast. And it was a fucking nightmare. It was like some song playing. I was like, what the fuck is this? I didn't pick this shit. I don't need this shit in my life. I listen oh, to was- uh, every Sunday morning. I turn on Cities 97 in Minneapolis here has... Uh, uh, acoustic sunrise every Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. Cities 97 is acoustic sunrise, which is just phenomenal. It's kind of right up my alley of, uh, people playing their songs in a slow, smooth, earthy tone. And, uh, it's great. Um, I also listen to 96, five. It's an alternative channel here. 95, three, which is a kind of a rap R and B station that, that plays a lot of the new stuff. So, I mean, if you're just driving around on your bike or something, I mean, it's a, it's a great station to just get you going. So I listen to the radio a lot. I mean, it's hard for me to say, I listen to like the top 40 stuff anymore. I can't listen to a KDWB. I can't listen to a KS 95, you know, but there's some, there's some really good stations that you just hear stuff you've never heard. Before. So you, you, yeah, you feel me. I listen to 89.9 KMOJ from the cities. What the fuck are you guys? What the fuck? How are you listening to the radio all the time if you're not in the car? You, you can have like a internet. I have a receiver. I have a stereo receiver in my living room. I just like 
hit the button. And, and you on. just turn on the radio and it just plays random oh, yeah. stuff and you're okay with that. Yeah. And you know what, you know what the really, like one of really That's wonderful experiences is if you're listening to the radio in your car and you're driving home from somewhere and you, you're listening in your car and, and you get out of your car and you come in your house and the radio is playing the same song because your lady was home listening to the same station. And you come in, and the radio in your house is playing the same song that was playing in your car. That's a wonderful moment. It's beautiful. beautiful stuff. I don't know how you. I don't know how you find new stuff. I mean, without listening to the radio personally. I mean, you know, we've got all the old stuff. Well, I've got my Spotify your new releases playlist, but all my Spotify new releases are like reissues because I'm washed. That I. That's so fucked. I, that will never happen. <laughs> Walking into my house and hearing the fucking radio playing the same song that was playing in the car. I'm happy if I can put in my AirPods and it's playing the same fucking podcast that I was listening to in the car. Like it's it's that's so wild to me. Um, you know, but I love the Ro- radio. But Rosie, well, yeah, you just fucking talk ten minutes about the radio. Like I know that you love it. But here's the thing: listening to Rosie though made me realize what I love is fire. I love going out and making a fire. <laughs> like, like fucking cavemen. It's this. It's the same fucking shit. Like I love. I love making sharp. I love shape making sharp tools and using those tools to accomplish things. I love making money and trading them for goods and services. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? The radio? Get out of here with that shit. Yeah, no crap. This this would be like me going up and approaching a woman in real life and asking her out. That's just insanity. If 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 Russ was on a date from Bumble and the and the lady goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "The radio." She'd be like, "Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be right real quick." I don't know. She might say that's a fancy man right there. Right? No, no way. I think it's fancy, man. I'm yeah, telling you, you, the radio's fancy. I also showed up on my horse. I mean, what the fuck are you talking about the radio? <laughs> so here's what I'm into right now. Uh, since nobody asked, the host is a lonely job. Uh, I just watched the movie Home Alone. My kids. We're staying at my family's cabin, but it's like a, a family cabin where you have a collection of DVDs that people have brought. And so it's like, you can tell like my old aunt uncles have picked all the selection because it's like the three stooges uh christian family's comic like <laughs> none of it's any good it's all terrible stuff and then there's home alone so my girls are like let's watch home alone they're desperate they're so desperate that they're being nice to each other that's how i know that they're desperate we watched home alone the scene in home alone from when he says this is my house and i must protect it is the greatest scene in cinema history Period. I would put that shit up against any other scene in The Godfather. I would put that against any other scene ever in cinema history. Do you know how many people just turned off this podcast? Because when he puts that charcoal heater on the door handle and you know he's going to grab it, it is so satisfying to watch that last 10 minutes where these guys are just getting the shit beat out of them. Even when the whole idea of the movie is actually terrifying, there's men breaking into a house and they say over and over, we're going to get this kid. Like that should be an absolutely the most terrifying movie of all time. But instead you're listening to me. You're like, this is fun. This is funny. And even at the end, they catch him. They put him on the hook and the guy goes, I'm going to chew off every finger you have. And you're like, holy shit, this is the darkest thing of all time. And then it's like, ha ha ha. He gets hit with a shovel in the head. How different would this movie have been viewed by kids had they really just chewed off his fingers at the end and it was like a horrible <laughs> ending like the movie Seven where he finds the head in the, in the, in the, in the box? Don't give it away. Like, would kids oh, just, spoiler. Would, yeah. would, kids forever, would kids forever just say, no, what's in the box? He ate the fingers. 
Kevin, I'm home. Kevin, I'm home with John Candy. Oh shit! What happened to all your fingers? Oh my dog? god! <laughs> I'm a terrible parent. My nieces and nephews always quote the line from that movie of "Easy on the Pepsi, Uncle Russ." Like they always quote "Easy on the Pepsi." That's what they fa- their favorite line ever. But if that movie would have gone south. I'm sure my nieces and nephews would constantly just say, oh. what happened to my fingers? <laughs> <laughs> the cops show up and Joe Pesci's got three kid fingers in his mouth. <laughs> Holy shit. That's a whole different movie. I love it. <laughs> Man, we got to make that. Lars that's Van Trier shit. How do we remake <laughs> movies in a terrifying fashion? Yeah, here's a fun movie my kids <laughs> like. Let's make it terrible. <laughs> Willem Dafoe's in every single one of them. Is there a way for us to just pivot and move this to our podcast idea? <laughs> yeah, new podcast <laughs> idea. Let's come up with a new intro. Start uh, again. So, Russ, Russ, you're really the one who started this adventure. You, you, we were all talking on Zoom during quarantine, and you said, listen, guys, I'm listening to the Rolling Stone Top 500 album list. What, what made you want to do that? Like, uh, why, why did you start to do that in, in overall? Well, I, I was listening to the radio for about three years straight, and I got tired of these stations. <laughs> so, so I'm just in general. Funny, I was in the car. The radio's playing the same shit. It was in the car. Where are you going? Download Bumble. That would be the every eight minutes they tell me what goddamn time it is again. Yeah. My favorite part is the ads for forty minutes of every hour of music. Holy shit, I love that shit. It's my favorite. So, anyways, I'm I'm a guy who just kind of loves having quests. I'm on a quest to see all thirty major league baseball stadiums. I think I've been to twenty one, and I've got nine to go. I'm trying to read a biography on every U.S. president, although. Admittedly, I've been stuck on Grover Cleveland for quite a while, and I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to read these books anymore or if I'm going to get canceled if I continue to read them. I don't know. And then I also, whenever I travel, I like to go to Top Chef restaurants. So contestants that were at a Top Chef on that show, I'll I'll go check it out. I've been to a few with Aaron when I've been out in in San Francisco and Oakland, but I like having these quests. So do you guys have any kind of non-music quests? Matt, I think you collect sweatshirts or something like that. Do you guys have quests like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to have something to occupy your time. So champion reverse weave sweatshirts. <laughs> Green prints it. Late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, I've got to go for one. I've got a Kansas basketball one. And, yeah, you know, I mean, they're just nice, hearty, thick sweatshirts for the winters of Minnesota. It's a, it's a quality item. You can wear them in the pool. If you're fat and you jump in the pool, you can put them on. <laughs> it's like I got a sweatshirt on. I, I identify with the idea of quests. I don't have the same stick to that Russell has, so my quests end up being more short-lived. But uh, for me, they have to do with like different forms of exercise. Like I got really into my road bike, and then since I've had my son, uh, I don't go for five-hour rides anymore, so I try lifting weights, but I'm not as strong as Rob, so now I just try to do as many burpees as I can. And uh, and then my other quest is uh, trying to get my carbon steel walk season perfectly so I can cook some stir fry. But I get it. I get. Aaron, I get we're not talking about that fucking walk. We told you ten <laughs> times before this podcast started. <laughs> we're not doing it, Russ. As you may guess, I'm obsessed with everything I do all the time. That's why uh, I agreed to do this podcast sitting in my dad's car at ten thirty at night. So, so you would call yourself I this next question I have it seems silly now but you would call yourself a completionist like does it bug you when you when you haven't finished stuff that you've set out to do when the stay at home order went into effect back in March and April I realized that I kind of needed a new quest and so 
the first day I decided I'm going to try to run five miles every day. Oh no. And that, la- and that lasted like three days and three and three days is probably being generous. It probably lasted one or two. And then I decided I was going to try to eat really healthy. And do you guys ever use like my fitness pal or anything where you kind of log in everything you eat? Yeah. It's and a so disaster. I thought, I, thought I would try that, but then I discovered DoorDash was a perfectly fine way to compensate for the isolation I was going through. So that went to hell in a handbasket. Texas Roadhouse delivers. What the fuck? Desserts too. This is great. <laughs> but so eventually I realized that part of it, beyond me just being extremely lazy, was that I needed something with a definitive list or something where there was kind of like an end destination to strive for. And I thought, what if I were to listen to Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time? And I'm not a huge music connoisseur. I've never really gone out of my way to listen to albums. So, for example, I could tell you that Hey Jude or With a Little Help from My Friends are popular Beatles songs, but I have no idea if it's on Sgt. Pepper's or that album where they're walking across the road. I don't know any of that. The and album so, where they're walking across the road and Sergeant Peppers is the two Beatle albums that Russ has brought up. Okay, keep going, Russ. <laughs> exactly. So I've never been into albums. It's something totally new for me. And but so I just figured I would start listening to this. And and to me, music can be a very active or passive activity, right? Like you can listen to it in the background at work, you can listen to it while you're exercising. You could sit down and have a few drinks doing it. So I figured it was something that I could actually accomplish. And so I started with Sergeant Peppers and I listened to it and I sent you guys a text. And part of my text was complimenting the music, but also part of it you guys inferred was me ripping the music. And this eventually kind of started this text chain where we started talking about it and we were on these Zoom calls and we kind of realized that the, the four of us were the ones that enjoyed talking about this quest. And the rest of our friends, every time we talked about it, would just completely tune us out. So I don't know if that bolds really well for yeah. what we're doing as a podcast. But <laughs> Russ, the, but the podcast is called Beck Did It Better. Why is it called Beck Did It Better? All right. Beck Did It Better is, is an idea that I, I think I almost lost all three of you as friends because <laughs> I, I mentioned it. But I'll mention it here and we'll probably lose all of our all eight of our listeners immediately. But this is but, important. We need so to the know first this is album I listened to was Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles. And I was going for this walk and I was listening to it. And I thought, wow, this is really a great album. I really enjoy it. But there are some songs on here that are just kind of unique and a a bit bizarre. They're not Beatles songs that I would typically hear on the radio or that I would add to a playlist, right? Like you guys have a better feel for this, but the Beatles have some strange music. And I started listening to this and I thought, this almost reminds me of songs by Beck. But I think Beck does those songs better than the Beatles. And so I texted you guys that I think Beck does strange songs better than the Beatles do it. And then all hell broke loose. All of you guys started calling me names and it just it, com- it started a complete the, uh, fire. Here we are. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that on one of your bumble dates, Russ. I think that would be a total disaster. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. It remains to be true. And I've said that a lot and I stand by that. Russ, are we at all qualified to have a podcast about music? At least you and I. I do not think we're qualified. Absolutely at all. I think, not. I think my music history is essentially nil. I played the alto saxophone for two years in middle school, and I was in choir for a few years in high school. But my music knowledge is is pretty limited. It, it's not the same as some of you guys on on our in our group here. No, there's absolutely no way I'm qualified to talk about music in the least. I know almost nothing about music. I hate the radio with a passion. I would la- rather listen to people talk about music than actually listen to music in the first place. Matt, why do you think you're qualified to to have this podcast? 
Well, I'm not qualified. I mean, you know, none of us are qualified. That's it's a, it's a given. But um, um, that was a trick. I'm actually the most qualified. I know a lot about music, so you guys just admitted <laughs> it. Teacher, you're, so you're probably yeah, you know, you're most qualified to do most things, and I'm sure you'll tell us about it. So yeah, we'll go through that for the rest of the the rest of the podcast. But the uh, you know, no, I mean, I've got a, music is always. I, I'm I'm the horrible singer. I play zero instruments, but I've always listened to music. Um, and I think it's, it kind of comes from the fact that my parents didn't, I don't know if I ever, I mean, there's like one or two albums I know that my parents owned or ever listened to, you know, and they listened to cities 97, that was it. And so I think it was kind of a thing that I found as a younger kid. Um, there was something, just kind of something different. And then it kind of just grew from there. Um, you know, the, I, 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 I don't like reading fiction books. I don't like reading. I don't like watching uh, like sci-fi movies. So I've, I've always uh, been drawn. It sounds like you should put it up on Bumble. This sounds very good. <laughs> yeah, things that you don't <laughs> like. My profile, Russell. You can you know, yeah. tell me how it relates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I've watched every single music documentary that's out there on Netflix. Uh, HBO, a couple other things, you know, I mean, that stuff, how these albums come together, how these artists kind of get to where they're at, um, you know, how these different music genres kind of come together. That's always just been fascinating to me. And so then, you know, you kind of hear how some of these albums are made and it's just, it's absolutely amazing to hear, you know, everybody thinks Rolling Stones and Rosie will get into this later, but you know, the Rolling Stones are these musical geniuses. Well, they basically just loved Southern rock, right. And the blues and basically tried to just figure out everything they could about it and made their own music based off of these obscure uh, blue singers from the South and, and, you know, how they kind of came up with that stuff. And then they make these meccas to go record their albums and muscle shoals and things. I mean, just, and you can go on so many different tangents on, on how these albums are made that it's just amazing to me. Uh, you know, how they, you kind of come up with a final package and then that final package ends up moving X amount of people. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it, it's a, it's a crazy thing to me how the whole thing works. Aaron, what, what's what's your why, why do you think you're qualified to do this podcast? Yeah, well, I don't think anyone's qualified to talk about music, and I think that's the best thing about music. But I do have to say, I, Matt, that's a beautiful. It's hard to follow what Matt had to say, so I, I don't know if I can uh, <clears throat> follow that. But uh, no, no, one, but 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 I would, but I would, I, I, Aaron, I would argue that you're probably the most musically inclined of all of us. I mean, we we went to a arguably what is a music college in St. Olaf together and you were a music major music, but, uh, I mean, I do, you know, I do think that, uh, I mean, I guess like if I'm ever proud of myself, I, I think that I'm pretty good about, uh, listening to music and understanding it. Um, I grew up in Iowa. I joined the Des Moines children's chorus when I was um, eight years old and learned a lot from Eugene Wilson, uh, who was the conductor of the Des Moines children's chorus. So I learned a lot about music right away. I'm good at learning music quickly. Uh, I was a, I played trombone in high school. I was a member of the Allstate Choir in Iowa for two years. And then, yeah, I have two degrees in music. <clears throat> so for me, uh, my, my degrees are in classical music. I don't really listen to classical music anymore at all. Um, and yeah, I always just like, there was always music on in my house. Um, my dad's a doctor, but I always wished he had been a musician. And my grandpa was a, a choir director in, in high school in Iowa. So it was just always like music was always around me growing up. So there was always music on in the house. That's so, that's so interesting because my, 
my family literally listened to no music. Like when I'm in a car with my mom, wow. there's nothing playing. There's no radio. There's no nothing. In fact, that extra noise, I think ironically with having me as a son, <laughs> that extra noise like stresses her out. So it's always silent. And then when she's gone, my dad will turn on some music and he'll turn on CCR, the Eagles and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting to hear this music play that I never heard growing up because, you know, my mom was always around. But like that, I, I Russ, what did your parents play music growing up? You know, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but I, I think they weren't huge mu- music fans. I know my mom always talked about that she got to see Elvis when she was younger, which is always a pretty cool thing. Holy shit. We got to have her on for a guest spot and hear about that. <laughs> Moms do make guest spots on this podcast, and that will be one thing our listeners get, get to look forward to. But no, honestly, I remember listening to music in the car, and it would be like my parents playing, playing Huey Lewis or the Beach Boys or something like that. But I don't remember my family being huge into music or music always playing when we were at home the car is a huge music touchstone i think for a lot of people our age i mean i remember my parents had that beach boys greatest hits as Mm -hmm. a tape and then they had joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamcoat so i can fucking sing every song on joseph (laughs) and the amazing (laughs) technicolor dreamcoat (laughs) (laughs) oh uh, totally real quick i want to get into what is our fab four of music or albums uh, and let's just go around the horn. I'm going to start real quick. My fab four of albums of all time is the, the first album that ever got me into music whatsoever is when I was in fifth grade, I remember distinctly on the playground, somebody throwing around. Do you guys remember those red music players with the orange record button that played cassettes tapes? The radio? <laughs> it's a it's a radio it's a radio that Rosie has in his car and then he listens to him when he comes in his house and it would play and I remember the first tape that these boys had and they literally were running around the playground throwing this player to each other and girls were chasing them and even in third grade I was like yes that's what I want is girls to chase me around and that album was right here oh come on Beastie Boys, Boys. License to Ill, which in retrospect, totally disrespectful. Nobody should probably be listening to this. And it it just totally changed my mind about like it associated music with women. And I think for the rest of my life, that's how I associated music was like, if I have the right kind of music, I can meet and talk to women which is probably the number one most defining quality that's, of my that's uh, amazing entire me, um, life because i love hip-hop music although i don't have any hip-hop albums in my fab four but i i love rap and hip-hop and somehow the beastie boys just missed me like i just i don't i don't remember the beastie boys much at all except for the uh, your iowa upbringing you know pipe your right to party <laughs> the video like but they're such an important you know hip-hop group and i i they just never I miss them completely. I don't know about any of that. All I know is that girls in Rochester, Minnesota in 1980, <laughs> 1989 were attracted to boys who had that record, and I wanted that record so bad. <laughs> so that was that was my first of the Fab Fours. Russ, what was your first of the Fab Fours? What do you think? My first Fab Four album is the Black Album by Metallica. There we go. I think this album, I, when I was looking, this is the first time, I've listened to about 160 albums so far, but today was the first time where I actually looked at the whole list. And I think it ranks in like the mid 200s, which at first glance just seems unconscionably low to me. But if you look at this album, it has Enter Sandman, Sad But True, Unforgiven, 
wherever I may roam, nothing else matters. Honestly, you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find many albums that have kind of a better five starting rotation of songs than that. And I think I just saw, this was a pretty interesting fact about this album, was that the Black Album has been on the Billboard Top 200 list for more than 550 straight weeks, which makes it only the fourth album ever to be on the Top 200 for that long, right behind Dark Side of the Moon, Bob Marley Legend, and Journey's Greatest Hits, and so two of those are Greatest (laughs) Hits albums. (laughs) So that's a pretty... That's amazing. That's a pretty amazing feat, and if we do one podcast a week, we'll actually get to discuss this album about five years from now. So you're you're, 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 you're you're saying that... 91, 92? 91, but the reason I think this album really resonates with me is that I think it's a way that I've connected with friends over the years, whether it was getting pumped for a sporting event as a kid or connecting with new college friends who also like Metallica or even sitting at a Twins game and being terrified when Mariano Rivera (laughs) ran into the stadium. I always just connected with friends through listening to Metallica. And as I got a bit older, I got more into the older Metallica stuff, which is kind of more thrash metal as opposed to kind of more this poppy or heavier metal. Yeah. But for me, Metallica is my favorite band ever. I've seen them half a dozen times and every time... I think they've destroyed. So my first five or first Fab Four is the Black Album by Metallica. Love it. I love the idea that that over the years people have been like, "Holy shit, get me to the store! I gotta get Journey's Greatest Hits. It's my favorite <laughs> album. It's so good." What were you gonna say, Aaron? I gotta say that, like, I mean, that's that's really. I mean, Russell's a more true Twins fan than I ever was to feel terrified when Mariano Rivera came in because. Uh, there were there were moments at the Metrodome where I was relieved to know that game was going to be over and I could go to Hubert's and get a beer and get the fuck out of that place. <laughs> there were a lot of Twins games like that growing up, for sure. Matt, what's what's your what's what your first album on the Fab Four? I think you know I grew up in listening to like the top forty on the radio with my parents, right? So like KS ninety five and just and maybe WCCO was on or something like that, and somebody played. Siamese Dream, um, you know, and like today was the big song from there. But I heard this song, Chair Brock, come up. Mm. And you just listen to it, and it kind of slowly builds up. And all of a sudden, this guitar hits and the drum hits. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? And so this is kind of the first, like, holy cow, like, what kind of music's going on here? I mean, it kind of led to all of the other grunge albums that were out there. But I mean, just when this hits, I, you know, this deep, dark guitar that it just, I mean, I can't believe what I'm hearing, you know, like, where did this come from? And then it's not like a deep, like, metal band, you know, like I'd heard um, Metallica, Black Album, and, and One, and some of those, and thought they were great, but like, this just felt like it talked to me a lot more than like that deep, dark, heavy metal stuff. It was just hard rock, and I couldn't believe it when I heard it, so... Uh, Siamese Dream, uh, Smashing Pumpkins was kind of my baptism into more or less kind of the grungy early '90s rock. I haven't heard this song in so long. It fucking rocks, man. This this I is mean, so does. good. I yeah, honestly never just... knew the name of this song either until this podcast, but I know the song so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rosie, what about you? What's your first? What's your first album on the Fab Four that we definitely came up with right on the spot? We didn't plan this out ahead. Of my time. first album is Whitney by Whitney Houston. My little sister had a little pink uh, boombox 
and she rocked this. She, as Biggie said, she made the tape rock till the tape pop. She played this cassette, and I, I still to this day love anything Whitney Houston did. And uh, my, my favorite track on the album is probably uh, "I Want to Dance with Somebody," but uh, so emotional. I just, I love her vocals on "So Emotional," and where she's singing back up with herself. She's outstanding. Uh, I think Whitney was an angel from heaven, and uh, yeah, this this was like a one. This was like, and and Whitney Houston was just everywhere for us. She was ubiquitous. Like there was her first album, um, which I love, called Whitney, which I play on Saturday mornings still. And then obviously, if you were watching football in the early '90s, you remember her singing the anthem. Uh, the Bodyguard soundtrack was, you know, full of hits, top to bottom. But uh, this uh, album was the one that I remember so well because my little sister was playing this all day long on her little boombox on her cassette player. So when I think about music, I always think of this this album. I think a lot of times, for me, my second album is... When, when we're thinking about albums, you forget how much albums cost, right? You're talking 20 bucks for a CD. If you buy a CD that sucks, you have now spent $20 of your parents' money on a CD that sucks. So I was a big fan of greatest hits and box sets. And at one point, I got way, 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 way into Bob Marley to the point where my cousins and I once decorated a tractor at their farm to be a Bob Marley tractor. We put the Jamaican flag on it. We put all the weed decals on it. Like, and these are like straight lace, like doctors. I'm sure they saw this thing pull up and it's like a front loader that has a bunch of marijuana leaves on it. And they're like, what are these kids up to? But we literally loved Bob Marley this much. And so the Bob Marley box set was one of the albums where like, and it was the first time where it was like, I was listening to this album where other people liked Bob Marley, but because I was going deeper and listening to the box set instead of just legend, I felt like, oh, I can t- actually talk about this. And I have to thank Bob Marley because I would say it was about five years of my speeches that I had to give, whether it was in speech class or English class, I gave the same exact speech about Bob Marley. I think I did it once in college too. And it was the same speech over and over. I got at least a speech you just gave to us now or not. Bob Marley was born in 1960. You know, it was the same thing. I got at least an A minus on it every time. Big props to Bob Marley for helping me through my scholastic career. Uh, And it's one of the albums that really defined who I am. Uh, I forget who I was. I was talking to next. Russ, what's your next? What's your next on the Fab Four of your top four albums of all time? My next album is. Do you guys remember the first CD you ever purchased? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first, yep. the first CD that I remember purchasing is "Mama Said Knock You Out" by LL Cool J. Wow! Ooh. And I remember seeing. The, the video on MTV where he's standing in the boxing ring and he's rapping oh, yeah. into that the microphone for the, the, yeah. for the announcer. Exactly. Don't call it a comeback. But this guy comes up with a funky rhyme here, right? So eventually I convinced my mom to let me buy this CD and it probably helped that I don't think it had a parental guidance stamp on it. Do you guys remember the, the parental oh, guidance stamp? Yeah, I remember yeah. It was it, it was a hell of a time for me to buy The Chronic by Dr. Dre or or Nineteen Naughty Three by Naughty by Nature. My mom would not tolerate any of those albums because of the sticker. But I remember this is the first time where I remember I'm picking the music. My mom or my dad aren't the ones picking the music. And I think that's one of the cool things about music, right? Is when you're connecting with it, and it's not your parents' thing anymore. It's now your thing, Cheerful. and they don't get it. But I think a lot of people really connect through music as a way of this, I'm now kind of becoming an adult 
and I'm choosing what's cool. My parents aren't telling me what's cool. So this is the first time where I remember thinking that. Do you guys kind of remember the first time where your parents weren't into the music you were into? Yep. And that's happening with my kids now, actually, because they're listening to music. And I'm like, what the hell are you listening to? And I, it almost makes me cry because I'm like, you're a little adult. You're listening to music I hate. I feel like you guys are really <laughs> growing up. I think it's so great. Matt, what's your second album on your Fab Four? My second album, uh, again, right from the early 90s, um, not so much the grunge era, but uh, when Green Day came out with Dookie. Oh, man, what I a mean, classic. Yeah, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Uh, I picked Welcome to Paradise. It's kind of like, again, you know, just hits right away. I, I, I think I, I'm doing this exercise. I found that um, you know, it's not so much the lyrics that do it for me. It's just how they construct. And just, if we got some guitars that hit right away. Um, I think it, is, it just resonates with me, but you know, listening to this album front to back, just nonstop. Listening to the secret song at the end, he's like the first time we ever figured out that an album had a secret song, and it's just an amazing album. Um, you know, has has grown into a love of Green Day. Oh, it's such. I I also remember getting this album and being like, oh, it's called Dookie. Oh God, that's so badass. <laughs> and all these songs were like kind of like naughty and i was like oh my god i'm so naughty listening to this music it's so great oh this song's a jam i just want to listen to it it's so good rosie what's your fourth what's your i'm sorry second song on the fab my second song i tried to pick albums from each decade of my life because i just completed my fourth decade and in my oh my god you put so much time into this i can't believe it second decade i got into a big beatles phase and for me my favorite beatles album was the white album or the album called the beatles and uh yeah it's just one i, I had on you know i had the I double cd and uh i listened to a lot uh in just like in my house and uh yeah it just it changed what i thought about music it changed what i thought about taking chances and getting outside of your of your comfort zone and uh my brother and i listened to this a ton when i was a kid and he was younger so this for me the white album just like yeah i, I never ever listened to beatles anymore but i put this on the other day in preparation for the podcast and it still slaps stop the bottom and uh it's sad because when you read about it the beatles themselves weren't really enjoying working together and uh i enjoyed this song why don't we do it in the road because i was 16 i thought that was amazing like they made a song called why don't we do it in the road like that's incredible Russ, why don't you give me the, give me the last two albums of your fab of your fab four? Okay, the the last two. The first one is American Four. The man comes around by Johnny Cash. God, just stand me right so, hard. Oh my God, <laughs> it's so good. So I remember knowing who Johnny Cash was as a kid, but I was never really into his music. That was like There's old country to me. But I remember getting to college, and his kind of file sharing became a thing. I remember he hearing Folsom Prison free. Blues, A Boy Named Sue, I've Been Everywhere, and these just seemed like really cool songs Everybody to me. And I distinctly remember. I think Rob, you would always same. sing Johnny Cash at karaoke on Wednesday nights. I have very, I have a very similar voice. <laughs> Anyways, a few years later, I came across the Johnny Cash American recordings, which were essentially collaborations with Rick Rubin in the later in his life in the 90s and 2000s. And I bought the American recording, the five disc box set, and I was just blown away. So there were some new songs. There were there were old new recordings of older songs like Delia's Gone. And then there were also a ton of covers, which I really enjoyed. So there's the cover of Rusty Cage by Soundgarden. So good. Desperado by the Eagles. And then probably the most famous one is Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. But anyways, American Four was my favorite one. I just thought there were a lot of fun songs on it. But 
it really caused me to do this deep dive into all of Johnny Cash's oldest stuff. So I ended up getting the Columbia Collection, which was essentially 30 years of his music. But I think, like Rob said, one of the one of the reasons I really have loved Johnny Cash is it's easy to sing to, right? And I yeah. think a lot of his songs are really cool stories. I know Aaron and I had talked about this about 20 years ago, but the song Long Black or Long Black Veil, that should be a movie, right? A movie. The, a movie. Essentially, this guy is executed for murder. And he could have exonerated himself, but he chose not to because he was sleeping with his best friend's wife. And that was his alibi. But to me, just Johnny Cash songs are fun to sing along with. And I think they're always good stories. I will say that the the song I hung my head on that Johnny Cash American collection is one of the few songs ever that's literally made me cry. I was listening to that song like driving and it's about a boy who accidentally shoots somebody and then they hang him for accidentally shooting him. And I was like driving, crying my eyes out. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so sad. I mean, the idea that I would get in a car accident because I am crying about a Johnny Cash song is something I should probably put on my Bumble right now. So I think girls would be me to show, show how sensitive I am. I think that's a good idea. Russ, what's your fourth song on your uh, Fab Four? The fourth album is, I'm going to go a little off, off the radar here. It's actually a soundtrack, the Blues Brothers movie soundtrack. Oh, yes. So for Just me... Just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Thank you, Matt. One of, the, one of the things I've always enjoyed with music is connecting through it with TV shows or movies, like you guys were talking about earlier, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy has this guy named White Buffalo who just sings these amazing songs that fit the show perfectly, and it kind of brings out the story of the show. But to me, I remember watching the Blues Brothers and being exposed to, okay, you have this R&B band with all these cool band members. You've got Matt Guitar Murphy and Donald Duck Dunn on the bass, Tom Bones Malone. You've got all these horn players that are being, being spotlighted. But then you also, in this movie have amazing songs with Aretha Franklin singing in the diner think like that's just an amazing song or you have Ray Charles singing shake your tail feather at the record store and Cab Calloway destroying Minnie the Moocher so for me I've always enjoyed connecting with music through movies and TV and to me the first time I remember doing that is through through the Blues Brothers uh Matt what's your two last two on the uh Fab Four of music my, that affected my you my third one uh again same as Rosie's is White Album it was uh hey, it's our one it's our crossover we know it <laughs> we did crossover I think yeah. you know and so again play go ahead and play Helter Skelter you know again this thing just kind of hits from the beginning like you yeah. hear that guitar and you're like what in the world is this and I remember I remember knowing what the Beatles were hearing Helter Skelter for some reason and thinking like, this isn't the Beatles. And like, no, this is the Beatles. And, uh, you know, my, my parents, I found their 8-track, actually, yes. the White Album. And so we were able to listen to the 8-track, and that kind of, you know, started out find the rest of it and everything. And so, that's, you know, that's not the worst like thing. The you, where, go ahead. That, that's not the worst thing you could find in your parents' room, Matt. So that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that Matt and I both chose songs where Paul is singing because... I think at this point, John had just given up and Paul is still bringing it and he was bringing it through the whole seventies and still is bringing it right now. And, and John, I think had, had given up. I hear you. Yeah, John's you. not singing much anymore. I've noticed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. How come you notice we have two albums so far that one is the black album. One is the white album. Are there ever albums where it's like the orange album or the yellow album, or is it only the white and the black? There's a gray album. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love this track. The pian- I don't know who played piano on this. It's so good. I was listening to it there, but you played the keys on here. Uh, there's a gray album that um, Danger Mouse uh, matches up the white album and Jay-Z's the black album. Yes. It's fun. Yes, yes, yes. Guy, there you go. Huh. 
Keep going, man. We interrupt you with dumb jokes. Keep going. No, no. So I mean, that was it. I mean, you know, it was like it was like understanding that you go from I want to hold your hand to helter skelter, like right. Yeah. The way the Beatles, and so like discovering that and discovering there's music in the '70s and everything's not just current. What's on the radio? There was actually good music. The past, you know, that kind of just led to a whole different genre of uh, of, of listening for me. So. Well, I'll tell you if you like if you like fucking music in the seventies, you will love this Rolling Stone top seven hundred album list. It is, it is right up your alley if you are like a fifty to six year old white male. It's got to be your favorite thing of all time. Aaron, what mm-hmm. are your last two albums on the top on your Fab Four? My last two, my Fab Four. So uh, in uh, my twenties, I really got into soul music, and uh, Sam Cooke was one of my all time favorites. And uh, he didn't have that many studio albums really because he was recording at a time where it was more you know. Um, singles or he had a couple of live albums that were really good but um, he did one called Night Beat late in his life um, that I just loved um, this is actually interesting this is from earlier this is the gospel recording of Nino World so the cool thing that was about Sam Cooke was he was a great gospel singer uh, and he was able to take gospel tunes and turn them into love tunes but uh, Night Beat was my favorite Sam Cooke album. I shared that with my lady a lot. And Sam Cooke is one of my favorite singers of all time. Uh, I'll just let this play for a second because his voice is just... Okay, now Sam Cooke is suing us into oblivion. <laughs> That's him with the Soulsters. But uh, yeah, so Sam Cooke, Nightbeat was uh, him basically with a jazz trio, just doing jazz standards, blues stuff. It was really great. I listened to that one a lot uh, in my 20s and uh, really explored Sam Cooke, and that just changed how I thought about music and singing. And then number four is an album that uh, came out in 2000, but I really got into in my uh, late 30s, which is Lover's Rock by Sade. And uh, I tried to avoid picking too many track one side ones, but um, the song is by your side. It's the first track on Chade's album Lovers Rock, and uh, I just it just it's such a good track one side one. It sets the vibe. It just like it's become a real comfort for me. Like anytime I feel stress or I need to chill out or I just want to like put myself in a different space, I go to Chade. Like that voice and this like the the space and the you know minimalism of the of the music. I just love it. So I tried to pick something from each decade that made me think about exploring a different area of music, and this was my last one. Well, you put about 10 times more thought than I did into this. I think you use Sade in the same way that I use going out to my car and screaming. Uh, Matt, what's your fourth album in your Fab Four? Um, and I, I saved the best for last, obviously. So that's great, Matt. So I think my, my third album... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> my all-time band that I that I just I, I celebrate their entire collection is Pearl Jam. I was waiting and, for some Pearl Jam. Holy shit! Yeah, and so you know, I mean, I was a big fan of Ten and Verses and you know the early stuff, and and you know I I, I I listened to it a lot. But when I got to Yield, came out in 1999, I believe. Um, you know, it felt like they kind of grew up a little bit, if you will, and kind of got away from the early grunge stuff to kind of be in just a straight up rock icon that they are. And so, you know, once I got to this, I saw them live in uh, Alpine Valley with uh, Hogberg and 
and uh, Cordell drove in a truck all the way there to see it. So great stories like that. And I've seen them seven, eight times now, and I'll never miss a tour again. And I think they're the best live band going. I'm a huge concert fan. Um, I've seen pretty much everybody I could possibly see. There's a couple yet to see. Uh, Rage Against the Machine was hoping to see this year, but COVID ruined that. But, you know, since they're back. So um, I, I, Pearl Jam is the best live band going. They play three hours and they play all bangers and they're just great. And so my uh, my final album was, was Yield by Pearl Jam because I think this is kind of got me to a different level where Pearl Jam is and, and got to me where, to where my fandom is today. Third album was a, a, a compilation of, it was called Vietnam Rock in the Delta. Ooh. You cannot find it anywhere Ooh. now. Eddie Kendricks. But it had, uh, yeah, it had music Kendricks. like this. And I, it was one of the first Ooh. times where I was listening to music and I was like, this is so good because I actually grew up listening to, when I was like younger, I would listen to the oldies. <laughs> Go ahead. Is that that's Eddie Kendricks in the background. Oh, there. <laughs> truly, he, he drops like, for our podcast. He's like cleaning your office. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm Eddie Kendricks. <laughs> uh, but I, I I just listened. I listened to that album and I love it. And it's kind of like a, a, a for me, it's really a throwback of like I would just buy albums where I like the music rather than like the artist because if I could get compilations, it would be so many artists at one time. But my all-time favorite band and a band I always see when they come to New York City live is They Might Be Giants. Mm. And this was the one where I had a friend in elementary school who say, hey, listen to this album. And as soon as I heard it, it was so weird and it was so different and nobody else was listening to it. And I went out and bought all their albums that I could and I listened to everything and I learned everything about They Might Be Giants that I possibly could. And I loved knowing a band that nobody else knew. And then I would meet people that they might be Giants fans. And I was, and you would just be like, have this instant connection. And then I always go see them live. And when I do, every single, first of all, it's 90% guys there. Second of all, 90% of the guys look exactly like me, except they're wearing glasses. Um, and that's like, they might be Giants to me. And to me, that's just music. In, uh, it just is like this, uh, what is this, this thing song? of like, this is, this is a Motown baseline for sure. Oh yeah, this is the guitar with like a Britpop vocal. This is off of Apollo 18, which is like the first album that somebody made for me on a cassette tape, and I listened to it until I wore it out. Literally, I mean, it was just—it's just such a banger. I I bet I bought that album at least three times. I've never heard that Uh, tune. It's so nice. So I'm just gonna say say this: like, how do you guys feel about live music? I'm gonna tell you right now. I could I could live without live music right now. I think this is pretty obvious. Like I, I, I just when I go to a concert, my feet hurt. Even they might be giants who I love. After about an hour, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home. Russ, what do you think about live music? You seem like a grumpy guy. Are you on my side, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm grumpy enough to I, I like to go to live music. I like seeing smaller shows, but I don't go out of my way to see it. But I do like going to see the big events. For example, if Metallica comes through town, I have to go see them. I've seen them when they opened US Bank Stadium, and I've also seen a couple of the other bigger events that have been in town. Garth Brooks, when he's played at it at the new U.S. Bank Stadium or when he's played at Target Center, I've seen him a few times. And I also went and saw Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney at Target Field years ago. So I do like to go to some of the big events, but I think Matt Matt goes to a lot more concerts than, I, than you or I, my Rob. I 
I have to pare myself back from going to too many shows. And so I, you know, I, I've started a list a long time ago and I've gotten all the way through it except for Rage Against the Machine. So Rolling Stones live at, uh, at uh, the bank, TCF Bank Stadium. I mean, Pearl Jam, Guns N' Roses at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, what were the Vikings play? U.S. Bank Stadium? Yep. Yeah. You know, Guns N' Roses, seeing them live when they're actually playing the band. Smashing Pumpkins was a big one. They broke up. And I saw three out of the four members came back. So saw them at Excel. I, I'll, I'll go to live music wherever and whenever I can. I, I'm not the kind of person who will just go just to go. Um, you know, I think going to see things that play, we, we're, we're extremely lucky in Minneapolis to have places like First Avenue, where it holds about 4,000 people. People, I believe. And so, you know, I've seen Lauren here. I saw, um, uh, I saw, who else? The uh, 16 Stones. I got them on the list there. Bush. I saw Bush. Bush Don't came through the there. Go you know, saw MDMT. Um, you know, I've seen just a ton of bands there, and being able to see those in an intimate atmosphere is phenomenal. Um, I, you know, I think it's, it adds a whole different flavor to the uh, to the music. Um, if they, if the band does it right, if they're not just trying to blow your eardrums out, I mean, they they you know, if they're actually trying to make a concert uh, sound good, you know, they they do a great job of it, and it can absolutely adds to the to the flavor of the band. I mean, seeing Rolling Stones live and mm. seeing Mick Jagger when he's 72, I mean, this is like five Here's years ago now. So like actually be a front man. I mean, it, it, it absolutely shows you why they're such a good band. And so there's just something about the live music and watching how they act. I mean, it comes down to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about professionalism a lot on this, on this, uh, <laughs> board That's important. You know, when people, when people just mail it in. I mean, there's just, there's nothing worse than a live show where the band mails it in, you know, you could tell they just don't care. And, uh, you know, I don't even care if they fake it, you know, if they're, if they're being professionals and putting on a show, putting on three hours of, of, of their hits, you know, I mean, there's just nothing better than it. So I will go see all of the big guys as much as I can, whenever I can. I've got a, a couple of, uh, of key buddies that I, I get to go see some Nick shout out, Nick from Minneapolis, shout out Matt from Woodbury, um, I'm, I'm going to be a big shout out guy just because I think it's cool when people get shout outs on podcasts. So. Yeah, you got to shout people out. Yeah, you know. So I mean, when when I can see when I can see these bands and and you know what their music is, I mean, there's nothing better than being able to to see them live. Rosie, what do you think? What do you think about live music? I in my 20s uh, when I lived in Minneapolis, I was I was at First Ave a lot and 400 Bar a lot, and uh, yeah, same. I loved going to live music, but um, even in my 20s, I'd always be like, man, my back gets tired from standing up. Um, now, uh, later in my life, um, I've had the good fortune of um, my lady works for a large, uh, well-profitable uh, company here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I've seen some private concerts uh, at um, AT&T Park. And so I've been fortunate to see uh, Katy Perry uh, at AT&T Park, which is amazing. Uh, I, I have to say it. I saw Stevie Wonder and seeing Stevie, there, Stevie uh, with my son, and my son on my lap. Listen to Island in the Sky was incredible, but the one live. Did he show, fall asleep? No, he was awake for that one. Uh, he was two. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the <laughs> Did other, he play the fucking harmonica the whole goddamn time? Fuck, he, he, played the harmonica. he played the he played the harmonica. Oh so god! But the one that the I'd one start that, booing. I swear to Christ, I'd start booing Stevie Wonder. That, if he like, the one live show that. that sticks out from the, the last five years for me was uh, Christina Aguilera played 
at one of these uh, shows at AT&T Park, and she nailed it. She was incredible. And, uh, you know, I felt like an 18-year-old guy again watching Christina Aguilera, even though she's like a mom of two or three or whatever. Um, so that one was, yeah, that one was, it was a highlight for me. I think I would say my favorite show, uh, it's, it's enough. But anyway, I'm not going to go to live music now because my back hurts when I stand up, but I, I think it, uh, let me, let me tell you, Ro- Rosie, there's, there's specific things that you do. You don't buy floor seats anymore as an adult. You don't buy floor seats. All right. All right? Find you either buy the early, you're either part of the, uh, of the fan club. So you get the fan club seats early. So then you can buy, one or two sections over for on the stage and the seats up and you get as close down to the rail as you can. All right. And if you can't do that, you wait till the day of, and because of StubHub and all these places, tickets absolutely go on sale real cheap and you find really good seats. Um, always in seats. You always got to have a seat. You got to have the ability to sit down, yeah. but never, ever, ever go on the floor ever again, yeah, I gotta sit down. ever again, over the age of 36 ish. You just don't do it. Can't you got to have a seat. And that was yeah. our reoccurring segment, old guy advice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'll say this. If you had to pick one that you had, you had to only keep one for the rest of your life, music, TV, or movies, what do you think? I'm just going to say right now, I would probably pick movies. I don't watch any TV. I, I honestly think I could eliminate music for the rest of my life, and I'd be just fine. Oh my God, it's probably not great no to way. say when I'm doing this podcast. I got a feeling I know what Rosie's going to say. Rosie, why don't you go next? What would you eliminate? Music, music for me. You got to yeah. pick one. Music, TV, or movies? Pick music. I got to keep music in my life. Matt, what about you? I'm picking music. I mean, as much as I love movies, I'm picking music. Russ, what about you? I'm going to go off the board and eliminate dating apps. I don't need to go through this. <laughs> All right. So real quick, I want to just talk about the Rolling Stone 500 uh, greatest albums list. Basically, we know this is an impossible task. Uh, However, even the people that did this failed, I would say, absolutely miserably by any sort of um, standard. The the first list was published in 2003. And since then, they've come out with their uh, revised version in 2012. But basically, they asked 273 people to give a weighted list of 50 albums. They then hired an accounting firm to give them a point system to try to come up with the top 500 albums of all time. So what you have here is a very biased list from a bunch of people that voted. And just to give you an idea of why this list upsets me, you don't hit a single person of color um, until you get to uh, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, what's going on with Marvin Gaye? And that's it in the top 10. There's only one person of color in the top 10. And there's absolutely no women until 13 with Nico. The next woman you run into on this list is 23. And that's if you count Yoko Ono as part of John Lennon's band. And then the first woman that's by herself on the list solo is Joni Mitchell. Uh, and I, and I think as we go through this, it's not even just no artists of color. It's like, uh, the entire genre is just like, we don't get to hip hop till public enemy at what, like 48, which like, I mean, that, that public enemy album is great, but, uh, sorry, Rob, you, you had a thing rolling. No, 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 no. I think you're totally right. I mean, I think one thing we need to acknowledge doing this podcast is we, we acknowledge the list is something that needs to exist and it's, it's problematic and it's very sense of what it is. But I will say, having gone through this list and listened to these albums, Russ, I got to say, I really enjoyed the journey of like actually listening to an album instead of just my favorite Beach Boys song or my favorite Beatles song or my, you know, I, I've, to be honest, I've never listened to Clash before. I've really enjoyed going 
Russ, you, what do you think a great album? How do you define a great album? If you were going to vote on this list, how would you decide what a great album is? I think we all kind of view this a little bit differently. The thing that jumps out to me most about a great album is whether it's appealing music and it's something that I want to listen to again. Yeah. And I know sometimes you get into, I think for me, and you guys have echoed this when we've been talking before, but part of it is like a great intro. You want to hear the great song that's going to kind of lay a foundation for, hey, what am I going to listen to over the next hour or so? But I kind of like being taken on a little bit of a, a ride where you get kind of different music along the way. So you get, you're listening to a rock, a rock album. You're going to get that ballad somewhere at, you know, song seven, song eight. I kind of like the variety, but I think for me, the most important things are a really awesome start. And honestly, what I'm looking for in a cool album is holy shit moments where I'm listening to it thinking, wow, I have never heard anyone do this before on this list or, you know, getting 30, 40 albums in and I've never heard a sound like this or I've never heard a singer like this. So honestly, what I'm looking for is that holy shit moment thinking this is totally unique and I can see why this revolutionized music. Like Kid A, you know, great album, right? I also like to listen to albums where I can understand what they're singing, Matt. Oh, Aaron, what do you qualify as a great album? I, I mean, I just think a great album has to still, I, I like the idea of moments because obviously any piece of art has to have peaks and valleys. Although like you wouldn't want too many valleys on a great album, but um, an album has to like buy, buy <laughs> the track. valleys. The valleys on this album are so fucking yeah, low. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah. I, love, I love how bad the bad is. Uh, I think it's got to hold my attention by track eight or nine and it's got to still be, you know, it, it can't, Something about, you know, it's got a set of vibe that I enjoy that I want to listen to for an entire, you know, hour. But by track eight or nine, it still has to give me something that surprises me, but stays within the general oeuvre of the album. That's what's important to me. Matt, what about you? What's a great album for you? Well, I mean, so the the problem with this list for us, right, is that we're all plus or minus 40 years old, like real tight on that. Uh, we're all about the same age. And, so and we're very cool. Yeah. We're very cool. Yeah. You know, like some of we're this, right? Like we'll never know. <laughs> the, album, the album Love, like, you know, it's, I don't know where it's at on the list, oh, somewhere God. at the top of the hundred here. You know, like we'll never know it, but like when you, when you, when you dive into it and we're not going to dive into these uh, time and time again and really get deep dives, but you know, it probably came out like three years before anything else before it. And so to, to, to try to quantify what the what that new sound actually was and who actually like listened to it and then you know created the their next al- great album because of it i mean it's hard for us to tell on some of this stuff so you know some of these where you quantifying like the great album like are people ahead of their time and sometimes you don't know if they're ahead of their time until it's 20 years later right and so mm-hmm. it, it's really really tough unless you really dive in and that's why i think it's while it's good that you've got a a, a big group of people that are voting on it um you know clearly we've got some biases i think but you know for me it's just a, a good album is just it's something new but it catches your uh, your fancy if we're going to do a callback to a, a different word you know <laughs> it catches your fancy a little bit to, to, you know it just it moves you a little bit it, it makes you think huh what the heck's going on here it makes you want to listen to it again um you know a lot of times when you're listening to when you're listening to this top 100 list you just want to move on um but you know, that's not to say that that album wasn't great for when it was when it came out or for the the genre that it's in. So, you know, it, it, 
what we will struggle with this podcast and that we all kind of grew up in similar backgrounds and similar times. Um, but I think it'll be good to kind of hear our different perspectives on it. And everybody's got different takes, which is good, which is never make you, you no, there'll never be a perfect list. Right. And so right. what we hope to do is, is, is analyze it to, and go from there. Well, I think when you look at the list, I think one of the most interesting parts is 37% of the songs on the Rolling Stone Top 500 list are from the 1970s. Mm. So you're telling me that almost four out of 10 of the greatest albums of all time were from the 1970s? I got to call bullshit on that. Yeah, I mean, it so was, a, it really is like a bunch of like us being like, you know who fucking rocked? Rex and <laughs> effects. Like, <laughs> because it's such a huge part of us growing up. Rob, Rob, before you before you jump forward, you kind of mentioned some of the things that we thought were maybe shortfalls in the list. I just had a couple more I thought we could talk about real quickly. Absolutely. Let's hear it. So the first thing that I noticed is out of the 500, about 70 of them, about one out of every seven albums is a compilation or a greatest hit. Get so I don't really That's understand bullshit. why greatest hits albums are on the list. I read that when they revised the list, they added a few compilation albums so they could combine an artist and open up additional spots, but that just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm kind of curious. What is your guys thoughts on the inclusion of greatest hits albums on this list? Oh, I think it's total garbage. I'll just say cop out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It seems like they added it. Yeah. They, they added it for, you know, so they could get like Elvis in the top 10 or 20 or whatever, you know, but then you've got like uh, Elton John and they were trying to get, Robert yeah. Johnson and Muddy yeah, Waters. Elton John's uh, Yellow Brick Road, and then like five, five spots later, it's his greatest hits. I mean, like how does how does that work, right? Like when you're in the one thirties, one forties, something like that. So I don't know. It, it's a complete cop. It's a cop out, and then they don't define what an album is, and they don't talk about when was the era of albums. When did music? Mm-hmm. When did artists get time to go into the studio and make an album? Well, this is also. Uh, question that breaks along racial lines right the beatles made great albums because someone yeah. paid them to go sit in a studio and dick around point. on a piano for how long and other artists had to scrap and keep out turning out singles so radio would pay them to play and so you mm-hmm. know the album didn't to me start till probably 66 or so where when someone would like be able to go into a studio and make an album and so i think the but even but but you do see even later artists for example i think CCR has a greatest hits album on there. And this is well past the timeline of a band not being able to put together an album. So what do you think about that type of deal? I think they're just trying to include bands that they know were important and uh, didn't really get the chance for whatever reason to make a, a proper, you know, classic album. And they wanted to include CCR because CCR has so many great tunes, but uh, I guess they never put out a, a great album. But part of the problem too, right? Is like when we're talking about these greatest albums, like, like I said before, the number one album should be man hitting rock with bone. Like if that, if you're talking about influential <laughs> albums, like that should be it. And I get that Robert Johnson, like I really enjoyed listening to the Robert Johnson yeah, CD. Yeah, it's great stuff. But he never went into a studio for days at a time and smoked weed and like did yoga with right. my yogi. And then like turned out and within you without you, like, it was interesting hearing the songs that I would hear by cream and by Derek and the dominoes and by, the blues brothers, you know, but, but I, was that really a great album? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get why it's important. I just don't know if it's so great. Right. I was also curious. One thing we might not get a chance to do when we're going through episode by episode and looking at each album is kind of looking at who was excluded from the list. 
And I was kind of curious, I wonder, do you think there's some sort of bias against kind of really popular acts that maybe don't have the same significance or cultural significance? Like, if you look at it, I don't think Garth Brooks is on the list. He sold 156 million albums. That's ridiculous. Which is second to only the Beatles. I find it hard to believe that one of those wouldn't be on there. And I like Garth, but I think it's not even me being a Garth fan. It's just kind of curious. Do you think there's like a bias against maybe like country music or certain types of music and why that wasn't included? I didn't check. Is Chris Gaines on though? <laughs> yes, I think he is on there somewhere. I think that was Captain Beefheart's alter ego. Chris Gaines is number two. No, I mean this this list is 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 it's it's so incredibly white and it's so incredibly seventies and classic rock. But I guess but but to Russell's yeah, to to think about Russell, it's white and it's also in New York. Like you're only gonna get on there as a country artist yeah. if you were recording in the seventies and you were like yeah. properly, properly, you know, outlaw. And uh, like Alan Jackson didn't make it right, and George Strait's probably not on there, and you know, people George Strait, like, Kenny Rogers, people, yeah. right? But but how much of that too is us growing up and being in middle school in 1992 and hearing Garth Brooks over and over and over and being like, yeah, I shouldn't cheat on my wife. He made a good point, in <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Unless he loses when Garth Brooks was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I better go mis- marry Trisha Yearwood. I don't care what anybody else is saying. But, like, but it's it's. It's it's not just country music artists. It's other artists that are like up in the top ten of all time sales. Like Barbara Streisand, Mariah Carey, each have sold like seventy million albums. Not on the list. How the hell does Tupac that sold album? like thirty seven million albums. Not on the list. Mariah like, Carey's not su- on the list. Does it surprise you that wow. acts of that list? stature are not on there? Yeah, fuck yeah! Like that's absolutely. Like what at some point like being popular is its own metric, right? Being popular is the most important thing ever. It's what I tell my kids all the time. They need to be popular. It supersedes everything else, period. End of story. Thank you. But like each of those, each of those albums, right? Like none of those artists wrote their own songs. No, which Tupac, is that's crazy. You know, which is fine, you know, but things like that. But like they're 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 absolutely driven towards top 40 radio, you know, and they're they're manufactured towards top 40 radio. So mm-hmm. yes. Okay, but you can see why Rolling Stone magazine doesn't put him as a top 500 album, you know, if... Sure, but the Beatles weren't a four-person band. George Martin was, and, and how many studio engineers made Sgt. Pepper happen? I mean, that's the Beatles weren't just like four dudes written. Yeah, but they weren't, but they, but they, well, I mean, the early stuff right, was, the built for, was built for radio, but any of the top albums... Uh, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper. I mean, that's not like, oh, we got to get this on the radio, you know. Whereas all of those, the Garth Brooks of the world, the Alan Jacksons of the world, specifically George Strait. I mean, that dude put out an album every eight months. He's got eight <laughs> albums. Like, God, good for him, know, man. It's just literally, it was not about like I want to make a great album. It's like how much money can I make and sell CDs? Right. So, you know, I don't know. You had mentioned the Beatles. You guys were talking about producers. My third issue with the list is. There's a a convicted murderer on this list. (laughs) Bill Spector was convicted of murder in 2009, and the list, I think, was revised in 2012. And it's kind of strange. This would be like the NFL naming its top 100 greatest players on the NFL network over a few months, and including O.J. Simpson. Well, I, I... I guess they actually just did that. (laughs) The the, The NFL shouldn't be our guide, but it's just crazy. Like, who are the people that felt like Phil Spector really needs to be honored and remain on this list when he murdered someone. Should that not matter at all? That's just the, that's the Brian Wilson thing. Like Brian Wilson was so head over heels about Phil Spector that, that people just think like 
he has to be on because if there's no kill specter, there's no pet sounds. And if there's no pet sounds, then there's just no popular music after 1967. Like people just get crazy about it. Mm. That that's a fucking long ass album. If you're listening to every one of his albums, not even an album. It's just a bunch of 45s. Like those are all just 45s that like were never intended to be listened to one after another. Same with that muddy waters or buddy Holly thing. Like nobody thought you were going to sit and listen to four hours of muddy waters. That's crazy. No. Uh, so I think we're, we're down to the, let's, let's do what we're going to do on every episode. Although this one, we're actually rating the whole list. So here's the deal for the rating of the list. And this is a, this is a, uh, a rating system that's sweeping the nation. A lot of people are talking about <laughs> it's very a lot of emails about it. People love it. Do you think this wrist is list is rolling blown in that they totally screwed it up? Is it rolling throne? You like it? Or is it rolling drone? Who really cares what Rolling Stone has to say about a list in the first place? Russ, what do you think? What do you think of the vinyl rays? Is it rolling blown, rolling throne, or rolling drone? I, I think it's definitely rolling throne. I really like the list. I quibble with where certain albums are at times, and there's been a handful of albums where, honestly, they, the music just doesn't resonate with me at all. I don't get it. I don't enjoy it. But most of the albums I really enjoy, and, and I would say about 75 to 80 percent of the albums at some point i've texted you guys and said hey i've never heard this before this is awesome it's been a great experience so there are songs and there are albums that i i don't really understand why they're so high and i don't really get the the use of greatest hits albums i don't understand it but overall it's rolling throne i really enjoy the list all right matt what do you think rolling blown rolling throne or rolling drone and i'm going to say these again because i take a lot of time to find these rhymes so i i want credit for that I'm going to go with Rolling Drone, which is the one that is basically who cares. You know, it's a list. Uh, somebody put it together. We've decided to kind of take it and run with it, to use it as a, as a backbone of what we're going to, you know, just as something to do. I mean, you know, if you're going to get, if anybody's going to get all up in arms about, you know, uh, the Beatles being number one over Marvin Gaye or, you know, the the grunge era being as well represented as it is. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. You, you take it for face value and you move on with life and, and go from there. So I'm kind of on a big uh, who cares. I cert- I like the list where it's at. I mean, I, it, it's enjoyable to go through everything, you know, but it's not going to ruin my day that, uh, you know, that we don't have Elton John till the 80s, you know, that he's not in the top. 20 or something like that. So I'm just, I, I'm, an, I'm a rolling drone guy. Well, Matt, you make a great point. Now I feel bad that I punched my dad about it earlier. Aaron, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Aaron? Can I say Aaron, this? and again, and, no, shut up for a second. It's rolling blown, rolling thrown, or rolling drone. It's very clever and good. I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta make a portmanteau. I gotta say it's rolling thrown blown because I like it and I think they screwed it up. And I like it because they screwed it up. And I like it because we're here talking about it with my buds. And I, this is, I'm so excited to be here, but I think it's all goofed up and I'm, I love it anyway. So that's, uh, it's a rolling throne blown to me. I love it. And the correct answer, of course, is it's rolling condenser microphone. I got to buy some new stuff to make this podcast. <laughs> and anytime I get to buy new stuff and not hang out with my family and tell my wife, I'm definitely not sitting in the car screaming. Uh, and I said, I'm doing a podcast, which is very different. It's not the same at all. Yeah, it's very good. So that that is the correct answer. And now it's time for our game. And this game, I have picked albums uh, and I have picked adult films. And you need to tell me, is this an album that's on the top 500 list or is this an adult film? So let's do a quick uh, practice round. I'm starting to run out of battery on my computer, so we'll figure this out. Uh, First one, 
Uh, Russ, what do you think about Toys in the Attic? Toys in the Attic. Is that an adult film or is that a movie on the list? Or, I'm an sorry, an album list. list. Okay, so we're doing movies too. I forgot to mention that. In 2020. We're, we're changing this podcast to the best adult films of all time. Hey, what's your podcast about? Oh, yeah, well, I watch adult films and rate them. They're all good. Russ, what do you think? Toys in the Attic. I'm going to say this could probably be an album. I feel like if I were to respond to my potential Bumble date with I was really fancy and Toys in the Attic, she wouldn't be offended. So I'm going to say it's an album. You are correct. That's an Aerosmith album. Nice job. Matt, what do you think? This is a practice round still. Nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. Is that an album or an adult film? Adult film. That is correct from 1981. And you're going to find a lot of these adult films are from 1981 for some reason. Uh, Aaron. All the young dudes. All the young dudes. Is that an adult film or is that an album? All the young dudes carry the news. It's Mata Hoople. It's an album. That is correct. That is an album. Okay, so now I was I was terrified that Aaron just knew the soundtrack for the soundtrack <laughs> film right there. <laughs> He loves it so much. He has the he has the soundtrack. I got, I got the eight track. <laughs> all right, Russ, you're going to start. Just let you know, you get one point for a correct answer. One ties, all ties. All right. I'm worried you're going to ask me some Beatles album, and then you guys are going to kick me off the podcast <laughs> when I accuse it of being an adult film. It's going to be all Beck albums. This first one's so easy, Russ. Oh no, that's the worst. <laughs> Moaning in the moonlight. Moaning <laughs> in the moonlight. <laughs> well, I. Bat's holding his head. I can see him through the zoom right now. So I feel like I need to guess that this is an album. That is correct. It's a Howling Wolf album. Ding, 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 ding. You oh, get a point. Nice. nice job. Matt, what do you think? Shoot out the lights. Shoot out the shoot out the lights. <laughs> is that an album or is that an adult film? What I do you think? I can only do that if I wait like a week in between there and shoot out the lights. <laughs> if you're like on a camping trip with a bunch of your friends. I'm gonna go album. All right. I don't know. Album. <laughs> That is correct. It's oh. Richard and Linda Thompson. Uh, okay, wow. Aaron, what do you think? Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash. Rum, <laughs> oh, Sodomy, the and the Lash. That's the Pogues. That is an album. Son of a bitch. You're too smart for this. That is correct. That's an album. You get a point? It is one to one to one. All right. Is this an album or an adult film? Russ, The Ginger Effect. The Ginger Effect. Ginger effect. Don't Google it. I see you're trying to Google it. Don't do that on a work <laughs> computer. For God's sakes, Russell, I had to look these up on my phone. I'm a teacher. I couldn't do this on my work computer. I should learn my lesson about uh, our previous discussions about the Jamaican jerk off song with my work computer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say that that's probably a, a, an adult film. Ding ding ding. That's correct. Uh, nice job. Nice. 1986. Nice Russell. All right, Matt. A quick one. Is that an adult film or an album on the Rolling Stone what Top 500 list? Part? A quick one. Shh. So apparently that's an album. Oh, it's The Who. <laughs> while He's Away. That's the song is While He's Away. Oh, The album right. is just a quick one. All right. Are we, are we sure that wasn't also the self-titled album of Rob and Jenny's home movies? <laughs> no. <laughs> Cool. Trick question. It's both. That one's <laughs> called, is it sweat or tears? Uh, <laughs> all right. Next one, Aaron. Space Nuts. Space Nuts. Space Nuts has got to be an adult film. 
That is correct. That's from 2003. That's a modern classic. Okay, that was from that's from like when we graduated high school. That is an adult film. Okay, so everybody's with two points. Final round. Although I think I made four rounds. This game is way too long. Okay, Russ, careful. He may be watching. Careful. He may be watching. Is that an adult film or is that an album from the top 500 list? That seems too creepy to be an album. I'm going to skip that and say it's an adult film. That is correct. It's from 1987. That is an adult film. Nice work. Matt, Taboo. Taboo. That's an album. That is incorrect. That's a 1980 adult film. I love that we get the year of this. This is the best. (laughs) What genre we're in. Well, that's important to know. Okay. Aaron, Willie and the Poor Boys. Willie and the Poor Boys. Now, you got to admit, that's a good name either way. That's confusing because. (laughs) Isn't there a CCR song called Willie and the Poor Boys? But didn't we just discuss that CCR only has a greatest hits album on here? Willie and the Poor Boys. I'm going I'm to guess an album, and I, I don't know. That is correct. It's a CCR album. Nice job. You are too smart. All right. So Russ with two, Aaron with two, Matt with one, or something, or three, two, three. Next one, Russ, Blonde Ambition. Last round, Blonde Ambition. I was worried you were going to say blonde on blonde and I was going to get have too many drinks and get, get screwed up or, or Rob was going to trick me on that. But I'm, uh, I, I'm not sure about this one. I'll go. I'm going to go adult film. Isn't that that's correct. Oh, from wow. the hit year 1981. It's a classic year for adult films. Blonde <laughs> ambition is an adult film. Okay, Matt. To catch up. Actually not. Doesn't matter. The harder they come, the harder they come. <laughs> Is that an adult film or is that an album from the Rolling Stone Top 500 list? Use it in a sentence, please. Uh, (laughs) Hey, I just went to the theater and saw The Harder They Come. And I got the soundtrack on CD and I love both. Oh, it's an album. That is correct. It is an album, but it's also a a movie. It's a soundtrack. It's a soundtrack. (laughs) Jimmy Cliff. Cliff, It's all reggae. Yeah, nice job. All right, Aaron. To Ty Russell. You need to tell me the last one. Would I think it's funny to pick an adult film? Or would I think it's funny to pick an album? So much pressure. Violator. Isn't it it a Rolling Stones? Violator. I think it's a You think that's an adult film or an album? I'm gonna go album. I think it's Rolling Stones. You are correct. Ding ding ding. It is a it's a depeche mode album, actually, but you win. Depeche mode. Once again. Depeche mode or you depeche mode guy. Oh depeche. I I depeche. Who says depeche? I don't know. I had a a roommate in college who swore it was depeche mode. So we can discuss that when we get to it. Well, I think that's like 380 on the list. I had to go to all albums that were way down on the list because I know you guys have listened to like the top 150, so I had to go way down. Wow. All right. That is it for this episode of Beck Did It Better. The next album we're going to talk about, oh my God, is this intimidating? Is Sgt. Pepper Lonely Heart Club Hearts Club Band. Sgt. Pepper, there's a band to play. I'm sure we don't have much to say about that. That is it for Beck Did It Better. When you want to hear about the greatest albums of all time. But you're just too lazy to look it up online If you want to hear four guys who chat and then they get off track I've got the perfect podcast for you, Jack
did it better.